good morning, January 16th, 2022. Uh, some uh, snowflakes uh, mixed in with some rain this morning. Nothing major yet, but we are anticipating the possibility of some uh, winter weather here in just a little while. And so with all that going in, uh, we made the decision to do this service online today. Because as you know, living here in the south, they can forecast, but you never really know. You just have to go based on what information you have on Saturday for what you do for Sunday. But I did want to uh, make sure that we still had the opportunity to connect with our church family through the online platform. Uh, Steve and I are here together again where it all started back in March of 2020. Uh, we were talking this morning how we're so grateful God didn't tell us in 2020 that two years later we would still be dealing with uh, all of the effects of the pandemic and now of course throw in some weather and all that so that's why we're having to meet like this today so we are grateful that you're with us I want to take a few minutes um, to kind of get you up to speed on what's going on this week what we uh, anticipate will be going on in the near future and um, want to encourage you especially if you're watching us on Facebook Live to you know, let us know you're there. Uh, you can, of course, comment at any time just to, hey, I'm here, uh, wave, thumbs up, uh, you know, whatever it might be. We just like to know you're there so we uh, can stay connected with you. And uh, so we're grateful that you're with us today. So remember that. Uh, just a couple quick things. I will remind you that, of course, with what's going on this morning, there'll be no activities, no choir, and all that this afternoon. Uh, I do want to encourage you to continue to pray for our frontline student ministry. They got off on, to a good start on Friday. Uh, of course, uh, 34, I think, uh, people total in our group traveled uh, to uh, the Pigeon Forge and are partaking in the winter retreat this weekend. Talked with them again yesterday. Everything was going really good. And so we're going to continue to pray today and, of course, pray for their safe travel tomorrow. You know, we're watching the weather on that end, too, and watching how things go as far as that develops. And should anything change with travel plans, uh, parents and families would be notified immediately of that. So do remember that this with our Frontline Student Ministry. Wednesdays at 6, I want to encourage you, one, if you have children, get them involved in children's ministry on Wednesday night. If you have a middle school or high school student, get them involved in middle school or high school student ministry on Wednesday night. And for the rest of our church family, that you would uh, come be a part of our midweek prayer service. Uh, it really is a time where we have the opportunity to share our requests, come together and pray. And then, of course, as always, worship and hear from God's word would help us through the week. I have found in my journey that Wednesday nights so many times have helped me through difficulties and be able to bridge that gap between Sundays. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Um, and also for Sunday mornings, I want to encourage you in this new year, 22, to get involved in a small group Sunday school class. It is very important. It helps you build relationships. It helps you uh, with your understanding of God's word and Bible study lessons and helps you develop those friendships, as I said, that are so very important to your journey with the Lord and with other believers. Don't forget that. There's also some announcements about our children's ministry, February Fantastic at Big Time Entertainment. It's February the 5th. That's on Saturday. Uh, if you want to make sure you get your child registered for that fun time and exciting day, uh, you can always, of course, go to the website, email us. Uh, HefflinBaptist.org is our website. You can do that. You can call our office at 256-463-2576 to register your child. And uh, it's just going to be a great time. They will not want to miss that. I always encourage you to, anytime we have to meet in the online format, to always make good use of the online giving uh, option that's also available through our website, heflinbaptist.org, as a link to tithe.ly, and that will take you directly to a uh, safe, secure site where you can give online if that's the way you choose to give. Lord willing, this is only a one-week uh, setback, and we are looking forward to what is ahead. So do remember those things. If you have any 
questions at any time. Of course, you can message us through the Facebook Messenger. You can email us at Baptist at CenturyTale.net. Uh, you can, of course, I tell you, you can call us at 463-2576 or anything that we can do to help you. We'd be honored to do that, okay? Well, I want to take the time to get into God's Word, of course, because that's why we gather, uh, is to hear from the Lord. And I want you to know I've been real safe about getting here with all the treacherous uh, conditions this morning. Steve and I, of course, are here, and, and we never know. And so as I was leaving this morning, I had to make sure that I grabbed my, my helmet because, you know, I had to get my four-wheeler to get up here this morning. I had to get my helmet on and get safe and secure because I told Angie, I said, you never know how things are. We may have a foot of snow by 10.30, so it would be, be terrible for me to be stranded. So anyhow, any excuse I have to get on my four-wheeler, I look for it. So nevertheless, this was a good excuse this morning. So uh, a lot of limbs down, didn't notice a bunch of trees, a lot of limbs from the wind last night. We're praying everybody stays safe and everybody can keep power and all that kind of stuff that we enjoy. It makes cold weather a lot more um, bearable when we can do that. But we're traveling through the book of Colossians here on Sunday mornings now, and we dove in last week uh, to the first eight verses, the introductory verses uh, where Paul was talking to the church, and, and he began to express his love for them and his thanks for them and some wonderful things that I think all Christians should express to one another. But as we get to verses 9 through 12 today, we notice there's a little bit of a shift in his uh, writing. As he writes more specifically, and as he also writes uh, very passionately to the church there at Colossae. So I want to call your attention to Colossians chapter 1 again this morning. And I want to call your attention to verses 9 through 12. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, 11 and 12 and I want to read those together with you this morning then I want to pray and I want to ask the Lord to speak to all of our hearts through his word I really believe that the primary way that God has chosen to speak to his children is through his word I really believe that I'm grateful for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that does speak and guide us in all truth the spirit of God will never contradict the word of God so we have confidence in God's word as being the way that we should go and who we should follow in this life he's given us to live for him. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, I want you to follow with me and hope you have your Bible open. I hope you've gathered your family for worship this morning the very best you can. And let's look into God's word together and let's trust God's word to give us guidance for today and for every day that he's given us to live for his glory. Notice what the word of God says. He says, for this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Let's pray together. Father, it's in the sweet name of Jesus I approach your throne of grace today. And Father, I do so today with a very humble and a very thankful heart to have the privilege to open your word on your day in your house and God have the ability to still communicate with our church family and the world even when weather conditions and things of that nature have prohibited us from meeting together in person corporately. Father, we are still your body whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered. And Father, we need to hear from you today. I pray, Father, we hear, and as we receive, we respond. And may the Son of God be glorified through the faithful proclamation of the gospel and through the faithful walk of your people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to notice a couple of things with me, if you will, um, as we walk through this text together today. 
I, I do want you to know at any time too, is like I said, there's the opportunity to comment. I mean, there's opportunity if there's a way that we uh, can help you in any way understand a little different than a regular setting. But I do deeply desire to help you today because I want to speak to you today on what I believe Paul teaches us about how to pray for others. Now, as we began last week and we introduced the book of Colossians, we noticed that Paul focused a great deal on the godly testimony of the church. This church had a wonderful testimony of loving God and loving each other. And I describe this church to you as the church that gave themselves away. They were willing to give and spend and be spent for the glory of God. I believe that God has given each of us one life and one life only that we would be totally surrendered to him and that we would be used by him in any way that he so desires. He's given us one life, one mission to be used for his glory. He has also given each of us some spiritual gifts that are also be used to be used by him and are to be used to show others how they might receive the gift of such a great salvation and that they too might begin to use their gifts for the glory of God. I really believe that we must be that kind of church, the kind of church that gives ourselves away, a church that is giving, a church that is investing, and a church that is making a deposit of the word of God around us in many avenues so that we would be faithful to the great commission that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. A wise preacher once said this. He said it takes a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church. I want to say that again. It takes a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church. I believe those words are very true today because as we're committed to the great commandment to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, As we're committed to those things and the great commissions to go therefore into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ that God will take that commitment to his commandment and his commission and will build a great church. See, I truly believe that God honors the work of his children and he honors the work of those children who are motivated, excuse me, motivated by faith to go wherever he leads us without any holding back, without any stipulation to just do what he leads us to do. However, I do believe that any time an individual or a Christian church and a church family makes a decision to step out from the crowd, makes a decision to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ, that there will always be a price to be paid for that commitment to give God glory through your life. Now, when we talk about a price, I want you to understand something. We're talking about a price that is not always counted by dollars and cents. Oh, it requires dollars and cents to do the work of the ministry. Wise preacher once told me, he said, son, you can only do a dollar's worth of ministry with a dollar. So it does take dollars and it does take cents, but I want to tell you the price is even more than that. The price is often uh, one that is involving time, one that involves sacrifice, and one that involves total surrender on the part of the Christian and the church. See, the price also often involves some pain and distress. But I really believe this. The pain of the present must exceed the pain of change in order for the church to get to where God desires for us to be. Staying where we are must be more painful than the pain of the journey ahead. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when it is, God will move us and he will motivate us by the power of his Holy Spirit to be the church he intended for us to be. So as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ today, I want you to know this. I don't want to remain stagnant in my life. I don't want to remain stagnant in my spiritual growth. I don't want to remain st stagnant in that for the years to come. And as a church, I believe we also must be determined not to stay at the same level of service, the same level of sacrifice, or the same level of surrender that we are today. 
I believe as we look forward five, ten years from now, God willing, if he gives us those days that we would be living at a higher level of service, sacrifice, and surrender than ever before. I often joked back in 2020, and it wasn't a joke, it was really true, that when many of us were working on our 10-year long-range plans in 2010, we had no idea that 2020 would look like it was. Nobody had that drawn into their plans. Well, we got thrown a curveball of curveballs, and can I say to you, in 2012, I never thought 2022 would look like it does today. God only knows what might be beyond should he allow us to see 2030 or 2032. What is there? Well, we don't know what's there, but we know God's already there. And we know that he is calling us to deeper levels of commitment, sacrifice, and surrender. I really believe that. You say, preacher, that's a long time from now, but I don't know about you. Ten, the last 10 went by really fast. And I really believe they continue as time marches on. See, I believe unless we make definite plans and unless we develop some biblical expectations of where we'd like to be in the coming years, we are highly unlikely to accomplish any God-given task. I've heard it said that if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it every time, and that is true. Seeking God's face and his will for our lives often involves taking a significant risk. We like to avoid those things, and we sometimes try to play life in the safe mode. God has not called us to a life of safety. He's called us to a life of service, sacrifice, and surrender. But I believe we can trust him, and I believe that he will be faithful in everywhere that he leads us. I believe that the day has come, even in the midst of difficulty, pandemic, and plague, if you will, that the church would still continue to aim high, that we would continue to dream big. And you say, why would we do that today? I'll tell you why. Because we serve a God who's high and holy. We serve a God who desires to bless his children. We serve a God who desires to be faithful to us and cannot be anything but faithful and desires faithfulness on our part to him. I believe we can trust him. The psalmist said this, he said, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So as we turn our attention today on verse, to verses 9 through 12, we notice, as I said earlier, a shift in Paul's direction. The Spirit of God is leading him, and he spent those first few verses commending the people and even the pastor, Epaphras, of Colossae. But now he places the emphasis on his real purpose for writing. Verse 9 through the rest of the chapter is spent on teaching about the preeminence and the power of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. I still believe there's power in the preaching of the gospel today. I don't believe that the gospel has lost any of its power. The preacher might, but the gospel will forever be powerful. So in verses 9 through 12, Paul begins to pray for the church. Wow, here's a good word. Maybe Paul's going to teach us something today on how we should intercede for one another, how you should intercede for your pastor and leadership and how the pastor and leadership should intercede for you and how brothers and sisters should intercede before God on behalf of one another. So he does pre teach us how to pray for one another. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your faults one another and pray one for another that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So keep in mind these things as we walk through this text today. Keep in mind that Paul's letter that he is writing is in response to a visit that he has just received from Epaphras. Epaphras has traveled, they tell us, about 13 to 15, maybe 1,300 miles to get there to see Paul, to talk to him about the spiritual condition of his church. And he's looking for direction. He desires to lead a healthy church, a vibrant church. And he needs Paul to speak into his life as God has spoken into his. So keep those things in mind as we walk through this text together. The first thing I want you to notice today, beginning in verse 9, is that there is a response to the report 
that Paul received. How would he respond when he heard about the condition of the church? Well, he responded by writing a fervent prayer on behalf of the Colossian church. See, Paul has recorded in his writings several prayers. Uh, Most notably, in the book of Ephesians, there are two prayers he prayed, one in chapter one and one in chapter three toward the church. And right now, this letter that we're reading today in the book of Colossians is focused on the spiritual needs of a particular group of believers. And remember, they're meeting down at Philemon's house. That's where they started. And not only is the principles that Paul teaching to Epaphras and writing this letter to the church at Colossae, not only are they applicable to that church in that time, they are applicable to all the church today in our time, the entire body of Christ. So what was the content of his prayer? Well, notice, first of all, in verse 9, that he prayed for their spiritual understanding. You know, that's something that's very important to me when I stand before the body of Christ and open the word of God and as best I know how under the leadership of the spirit of God to declare God's word to help you. I really deeply desire that the hearer would have an understanding of the spiritual matters contained within the text. Notice what Paul said. He said, I pray that you would be filled with a knowledge of his will. It's pretty amazing how he said that because many of us sometimes struggle in asking ourselves, how do we know the will of God? I read in Adrian Rogers' book, uh, What Every Christian Ought to Know, he talks about how to know and do the will of God. It's a big struggle sometimes because if you're a follower of Jesus You don't want to be haphazard about spiritual things. You don't want to play around with God's stuff. You don't want to make a mess. You don't want to make a mistake or a misstep. You want to make certain that you are walking in the will of God. I always told my girls as they were growing up and now both grown and married and out of our nest. I remember telling them many times over as they pondered the path for their life whether it was education, whether it was, you know, getting married and the things that stay play. I always said to them, I said, girls, this to me, the safest place on the planet, the safest place under the sun is for you to be in the center of the will of God. I said, and it's very important for you to discover and discern the will of God and then be deployed to be used for the glory of God. So how do we know these things? Well, Sometimes we must understand that the way we know the will of God is by absorbing and understanding the truth of God's word. You've got to be convinced and confident and totally sold out to the fact that God's word is 100% true and accurate and without any error. So we know the will of God by absorbing and understanding the truth of God's word because we know this. The word of God will never lead you outside the will of God. You can trust the word of God to keep you in the will of God. Let me share something that Warren Wiersbe said. Warren Wiersbe said these words. He said, the will of God is an important part of a successful Christian life. God wants us to know his will and understand it. God is not a distant dictator who issues orders and never explains Because we are his friends, we know, we can know what he is doing and why he's doing it. Isn't that amazing? Did you hear that? He said, God is not some distant dictator, I love that word, who issues orders and never explains. Did you ever hear this when you were growing up? Maybe you were told to do something by your parents and maybe you asked this question and I bet all of us did. You know, why do I need to do that? Did you ever get this response? Because I said so. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet your mama, your daddy, or your grandma, or your grandpa, or your mima, or your people, or somebody, your auntie, or whatever, or your uncle told you you're going to do this simply because I said so. Well, when it comes to God's word, here's the great thing about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Oh, we do do what we do because he said so, 
but he has such a relationship with those who closely follow him by the word of God and indwell with the spirit of God that he doesn't just give orders and say do so because I said so. What he is doing, he is also explaining the reasoning behind why he's telling you to do what he wants you to do. Wow, what a savior. Let me tell you something to help open your eyes to the will of God is if you have a steady diet of absorbing and understanding the word of God. Sometimes the reason we struggle so much with the will of God is because we live a life that is void of the influence of the word of God that even as believers tries to grieve and silence the voice of the spirit of God so therefore we struggle with understanding the will of God. So what's Paul saying? He said, I'm telling you what I'm praying for for this church. He said, I'm praying right now for you, Epaphras, as pastor. I'm praying for Philemon and all in the house. And I'm praying for the body of believers at Colossae that you would understand and know to do the will of God. Wow, what a word. But he didn't just pray for their spiritual understanding. He also prayed for their daily devotion. Here's what he said in verse 10, the first part. <clears throat> he said, I'm praying that you would walk worthy of the Lord. Wow, what a statement. Now, let's talk about these things. What does the word walk mean? The word walk means manner of life. That your manner of life would be worthy of the Lord. I mean, you got to choke that down a little bit, church. You got you to chew on the cud there a little bit, and, and you got to absorb this. Because look here, here's what he's saying. That your manner of life would be demonstrative of the characteristics and the integrity of Jesus Christ. That's really what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian literally means little Christ. That means we are a direct representation. Our lifestyle ought to match the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Wow. So you know what we got to ask ourselves? Is our talk at church matching our walk in the world? Because if we're just talking religious talk at church and we're not living the Christian life in the world, then we're not walking worthy of Jesus Christ. I love what he told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.1. He says this. He said, I pray that you would walk worthy of the vocation with which you are called. Not just that you would walk worthy of the Lord, but what he's called you to do, you would walk worthy of that. You know one thing that's helped me over the years? And boy, I've struggled with a lot of stuff and all the church said amen. Now we know that old boy struggles. It really does and that's all right because I know I'm in a church full of people struggle and anybody that says they don't have struggles is lying to themselves. I'm telling you, we all got struggles. Many times my struggle was sometimes as God would lead me to do certain things and years back I would be a little bit apologetic because I tried so hard to get people to understand this is what God wants done and sometimes if I wasn't careful I would be basically apologizing for the vocation with which God called me. And that's dangerous. I want you to hear me today. If you're watching this service and you're a, a church leader, maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're a deacon, you're a servant in your church, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, maybe you're a staff person and have a specific ministry that you're responsible for providing leadership. May I encourage you today, don't ever apologize for the vocation with which God's called you. Don't ever apologize whatsoever. It's not important. You say, well, wait a minute. Well, if I do or don't, I may run the risk of not being successful. I've tried to remind our church recently, and I hope I can help you again today in case you forgot. Success in the Christian life is not about buildings, bodies, and bucks. It's not about nickels and noses. It's not about numbers. It's not about all those things that the world says that makes you look successful. Success in the Christian life means this, that you will live this life, and when you leave this life, you will leave this life as one who has fulfilled your purpose for which God placed you on this planet, called you, and allowed you the privilege of serving him. That's success. 
regardless of how big your church is, regardless of how big your budget is, regardless of how many numbers you turn in to the SBC every year, none of those things matter unless you're being faithful to the call with which is on your life. And I want to say to you, church, I believe that is something all of us must embody, especially in the days we're living in today. He also said this in verse 10. He said, I pray that you'd be fully pleasing him. You know what we got to ask ourselves the question? Is do we fully please God? Or are we more concerned with pleasing people instead of pleasing God? Our church family knows, and I really want you to like me, and I want you to know I don't just love you. I like y'all. I really do. I want you to love me. I want you to like me. I want all those things. That's important. But I believe sometimes if we're not careful, we'll forget that we have an audience and it's not the people in the pews. It's not the people watching online. There's one audience and it's an audience of one. He sits on a throne high and lifted up. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. I believe sometimes we seek the applause of earth more than the applause of heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know when it comes to those things, we must always remember that our daily devotion to God cannot be compromised. We must walk worthy of the Lord and the vocation with which we're called. There's a third thing he prayed for. He prayed for their faithful future. Verse 10, the last part, he said, I pray you'd be fruitful in every good work. You know, we must remember that all good things we do and all things we do in this life must be done with the intention of introducing people to Jesus Christ. Oh, I heard years ago a wise man told me, he said, brother, he said, every ministry in your church ought to be a stretcher, <laughs> a stretcher to bring sin sick and broken people to the foot of the cross. Every ministry of your church, children's ministry, student ministry, senior adult ministry, men's ministry, ladies' ministry, evangelistic ministry, discipleship ministry, all those things should come together. The preaching ministry, the singing ministry, the worship ministry, it ought to be done to take people who are sin sick and lost and broken and place them on the stretcher of their own helplessness and bring them to the foot of the cross so that Jesus Christ can forgive them of their sin, transform their life, make them a child of God, give them a home in heaven. That's what it ought to be about. Oh, we got to Remember those things, and we've got to remember that even beyond that, our missions ministry and beyond, it's all a ministry to bring broken, sin-sick people to Jesus. I believe we've still got to dare to dream great dreams. Past few years has caused us to really, if we're not careful, to recall in fear and retreat. And now it's time, I believe, that the church respond. We got to dare to dream some great dreams. You know, I really believe that. I know in our church we have some dreams of church planning that we see God doing in areas where there are no evangelistic voices. Our church planning mission in Utah is so near and dear to our heart, and I look forward to our next team going out this summer. But I've told you from the beginning, even though the pandemic has slowed us down somewhat. That was never meant to be an end to our mission ministry. That was a beginning to get us beyond into Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's still great dreams to be dreamed. There's still great ministries to be, <clears throat> to be birthed from that. I was reading this week Chip Ingram's book, Good to Great in God's Eyes. I shared something about this just in Deacon's meeting last week. And he talks about this very thing about dreaming great dreams and not being afraid to put yourself out there and maybe even make yourself vulnerable to be used by the Lord. And he said these things, and I want to share with you today. He said there's some things you've got to remember as you dream great dreams to bring people to Jesus. You've got to remember that God is able. He said, if God is going to be our partner with us in impossible endeavors, we must understand that he is able to accomplish anything. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Wow, he's able. 
But not only is he able, he's desirous. He, he, he's not just able to do great things, he's willing to do great things through us. He says, we can't come up with a dream that's too big for God. <laughs> and he has given us every reason to believe he wants us to raise our level of expectation. We often try to lower our expectation or quiet our dreams because we feel that they are too unrealistic or that God wouldn't do something huge through insignificant people like us. How many times have we done that? God, let me just dumb down my dreams and let me quiet this burning desire in my heart because it's unrealistic. You wouldn't do something that big through somebody like me or somebody like us. Wow, you know what he said in here? He said, those issues that we put out don't limit God. In fact, we have a Bible full of examples of God doing unrealistic things through improbable people. And then I wanted to share with you this last thing he said. He said, we can also trust God for big dreams because of what God has promised. You remember earlier in the sermon I read Psalm 37, 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm said, delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's what Chip said, and I love this. In other words, get so consumed and in love with God so overwhelmed with who he is and what he does that your delight in him births all sorts of desires that he would be zealous to fulfill. Oh wait, church, look here. I want you to hear me. He's saying that the key is to get so in love and overwhelmed with God that whatever he births in your heart, you gladly and readily accept because you know that he's able. You know that he's desirous and you know that he is promised. He said, when we get an awesome, inspiring view of God, our hearts begin to beat like his and in that communion, dreams rise up and are fulfilled. Wow, wow, wow. Ain't that amazing to know that God would love you and use you like that? Wow. Oh, I gotta tell you, here's what he said. Most of us look at our desk calendars and we try to figure out how to get everything done this week that we need to do. I don't know if that's you, but look, if that's you, I've been there many times. I'm in the boat with you, so I don't, you know me. I'm never throwing rocks. I'm throwing ropes. I'm saying, hey, look here, let's, let's, let's help people. Let's don't hurt people. But let's be honest. In order to get help, we've got to be honest. Are we just looking at our calendar going, oh, how am I going to get all this done this week? He said, we focus on the now, the narrow, and the next step in our survival. God wants us to lift our eyes beyond that. Our biggest problem is not that our dreams are too big. It's that they're too small. Look at that calendar. Say, God could never do anything great through me. Instead of looking to him and saying, this is not too big for you. It's too big for me, but it's not too big for you. He prayed for their faithful future. And I want you to hear me, church family. Every day when I pray for you, and I want you to know that, you're prayed for every day. I tell you every time I'm with you that I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I just tell you this, I'm praying for you and you can't stop me, okay? There's another one, all right? But when I pray for you, I pray that you would be faithful in whatever future God has given you as an individual, as a family, and as a church, we would be faithful wherever he leads us. Notice in verse 11, he prayed for their sovereign strength. He prayed <coughs> that they would be faithful. And here's what Oswald Chambers said. To be weak in God's strength is a crime. Well, that's amazing. You remember Elijah when he was on the run from Jezebel? He laid down, took a nap. The Lord fed him told him to get up and eat and drink because the journey ahead was too great. And I want to tell you, that's what we got to realize, that the journey ahead is too great. And I want to tell you, you're going to have to feast on the word of God and drink from the fountain of living water for us to be able to endure through the journey that God has called us. See, we must pray for spiritual strength of all believers, especially during these most difficult times. Can I ask you this? How much are you praying for each other? How much are you encouraging each other? 
How much love are you demonstrating to one another? Because that's what Jesus said in John 13. He said, the world will know you know me by the way you treat one another, the way you love one another. Well, let me finish by looking at verse 12 today. Not only do we see that he uh, brought a report, there was a response to that report, but also notice the report also yielded some rejoicing. Look there at verse 12. Do you see that? giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. Wow. What did he rejoice over real quick? He rejoiced over their special calling. He said, it is God who has qualified us. Now that's some good words, isn't it? You ever feel unqualified? Sure you do. You ever feel inadequate? Sure you do. Satan loves to make you feel that way. Does it to me, does it to everybody. That's his one of his best tools. But I want you to know what I'm grateful for. <clears throat> I'm grateful that God is still the one who does the calling and the qualifying. Can I tell you that? God has allowed me to be able to complete a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. But do you know what? That has nothing to do with what makes me a man of God. Not at all. Not at all. None of those things matter whatsoever. I don't care if you've got more degrees than a thermometer. That does not make you a man of God. Not at all. Now, will those tools help you be more equipped to equip others to walk with God? Absolutely, if you use it right. It can, and I encourage you to do that. But I want you to know who does the calling. It is God who calls us. God called me. God could call you. It is God who did the qualifying. He took a 15-year-old boy that didn't know nothing. And sometimes I maybe that's best because I didn't have anything to say. Look what I know. I knew nothing. But God took a 15-year-old boy and said, you know what? I'm going to call you in the ministry and I'm going to make a man of God out of you and I'm going to pour my heart and soul into you and I'm going to teach you my word and I'm going to put you in a place where you can be taught the word of God. And I'll tell you what, I, you know what? He's the one that did the Nobody would have chosen me. Nobody would have chosen you. Nobody would have chosen many of those misfits that we call disciples. If we had taken resumes, it's been said many times, if they had taken resumes, the only one that had been qualified was Judas. rest of them weren't qualified. Who called them? Jesus. Who qualified them? Jesus. Who's still calling and qualifying? Jesus. It's good news today. I believe that. And as he calls us and qualifies us, here's what he does. He allows us to be a part of the progressive process of sanctification where we learn to love, where we learn to serve, and we learn to sacrifice with joy. And we learn to do so with an expectation that God can do anything to anybody who will sell their life out for his glory. He rejoiced over their special calling, but he also rejoiced over their special condition. He said that you would be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now I'll tell you, here's what, my mind, as I studied that text right there, you know where my mind went back to? Right over here on Willoughby Street, seventh grade English, Miss Sally Wood. Miss Sally Wood had total attention of them 12, 13-year-old seventh graders. She had my total undivided attention. I was afraid she might hurt me if she didn't have my attention. But I'll tell you what I learned. I learned how to diagram some sentences, and I learned a whole lot about English, whether I wanted to or not. And what we find right here in this verse is a series of prepositional phrases. Look at that. It's amazing, isn't it, that I even learned that. He's talking about some prepositional phrases. To be partakers, prepositional phrase. Of the inheritance, prepositional phrase. Of the saints, prepositional phrase. In the light, prepositional phrase. And all of those phrases come together to teach us a truth about the spiritual condition of the believers at Colossae. These words right here speak to two things. Now I want you to hope you got your Bible open for just a minute. We're going to wind up together here, okay? These words speak to a few things. And the first thing these words speak to is about our present situation. You take your Bible and just turn a few pages over to the book of 1 John over there if you do. 1 John, right toward the end of your Bible. And in 1 John chapter 1, you're going to find these words beginning in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. 
He said, this is the message which you heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Isn't that good news? This is your present situation right here. This is what he was rejoicing over. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, boy, I'm grateful for that word, aren't you? But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's our present situation. We are walking in the light. And he was saying to the church at Colossae, here's what I'm grateful for. You are partakers. Means you have a handful, a heartful of the inheritance of the saints in the light. But he also speaks to us about our future destination. You know what? I'm grateful for my present situation, aren't you? Grateful that I'm walking in the light, even with all the darkness that's present around us. But he also talks about our future destination. And this is one of my favorite passages on that subject. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I love verse 7 and 8, but I've got to go back up and read verse 6. Boy, this one really, really stirs my heart. Verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Oh, look here, church, at any moment we could be in the presence of Jesus. Did you know that? But here's what Paul said. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. You know what he knew? His time was almost over. He knew from the Old Testament studies that when the drink offering was poured out it was asked the sacrifice had been consumed and it was poured out at the end and created a steam that represented a final giving of the sacrifice of life here's what he's saying my life is already a steam a vapor headed toward glory <laughs> and then he said these words I fought a good fight finished my course I have kept the faith. He talked about his life was ending. He talked about the journey that he was on and he was grateful to God that he had kept the faith. And then he said, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, should give to me at that day, not to me only, but to all those that loved his appearing. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I don't think you really realize just how bad things are. Preacher, I don't think you realize just how difficult the world is and I don't think you realize how much pain and agony is going on out there and I want you to know that I'd be the first to say I don't know it all and I don't know anybody that does. This entire pandemic has challenged our intellect it's challenged our spiritual connection with God and with one another in our church. It's challenged our conviction to continue to share and serve and minister even in this messy world. It's caused people to have all kinds of opinions. I think opinions are really hurting us right now. I saw something this past week and I'm... I'm not a real social media guru, but I've had to learn a little bit. The pandemic forced me to because I want to stay connected. But I saw this last week as we watched the national championship game. Start of the game, Natalie Grant sang the national anthem. I don't know about you, but I just rejoiced over the fact that she had been given that honor. That a follower of Jesus Christ had been asked and invited to sing our nation's national anthem. And I tell you what, in my opinion, which you don't have to share, it's a humble but yet accurate opinion, she knocked it out of the park. Home run, buddy. 500 Man, I just rejoice. And then I began to notice how people began to bash her, began to throw rocks, picked up their bag of rocks. And you know what? It was professing believers throwing the rocks. And I just said, oh Lord my God, no wonder we can't touch this world for your glory. No wonder our 
our, our messaging is being watered down and our influence is anemic because we take every opportunity to throw rocks at our own people. My heart broke. Oh, preacher, what'd you do? Did you lash out on them? No, you're not going to get that response from me. I'm not going to lash out at nobody. You're not going to do it. You can go on there today and say, I'm the worst preacher you ever heard, and I'd probably say amen. You may say, I don't agree. That's fine. But I'm here to tell you today, church, we, I have been challenging this church for years and months and years to drop the rocks, put down the rocks, quit throwing rocks, throw ropes, and if you can't throw a rope, just keep your hands in your pocket. God help us. No wonder why the world doesn't hear us and receive our message because they watch us gash each other. God help us. Preacher, things are bad. Do you know how bad, preacher? No, I don't. Neither do you. Preacher, do you know what's next? No, I don't. Neither do you. The media doesn't know. The government doesn't know. But can I tell you that there is a sovereign and holy God who knows? But here's what I do know. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. We should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Oh, listen, stay with me right here. For we shall see him as he is. So many years ago, the cathedral quartet made famous that wonderful song, We Shall See Jesus, just as they saw him. There is no greater promise than this. When he returns in power and glory, we shall see Jesus just as he is. Preacher, what's next? I don't know. What's coming? I don't know. But I do know he's coming. And we will see him as he is. So here's my challenge for you on January 16, 2022. What well, may be a snowy day here in a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's be a cold, wet, rainy. Who knows? My challenge for you is to one, love one another. Two, pray for one another. Three, encourage one another. And four, drop your rocks, drop to your knees, and pray together for God to use his church for his glory. That's my challenge to you today. Church, I deeply love you. you would, if you could open my heart and see how much love there is for you and your family in this church, I believe you'd be amazed. I want to help you walk with God. And one of the best ways we walk with God is by walking strong with one another. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your word today. Father, I thank you for how it challenges my heart, convicts me of my sin, and draws me to repentance in a right relationship with you. Father, right now, I pray for the body of Christ, not just this local congregation, but the body of Christ. God, we'd love one another. The world would see it, and they'd be affected by the way we treat one another. And God, I pray for preachers today and pastors. God, is, Satan would love to quiet us down, love to steal our dream, love to, to, to minimize our vision and get us to where we're no longer trusting you for big things. God, I pray that that would not be our, our testimony, that that would not be our future. 
God, I pray for this country. I pray for our leadership. I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president and the cabinet and, and Congress and people who are challenged and given the, uh, the responsibility of making decisions for a nation. God, I pray for a Holy Spirit intervention into this country. I pray for revival from pulpit to pew, down the street to Main Street and Broad Street and every street in between. Because God, we need you. We can't make it without you. You are our source and our supply. We give you glory. And Father, I pray for those that watch today or may watch later. God, I pray that they'll look deep in their life and allow the Holy Spirit to do the same. That we will do as David said in the Psalms, God search me and try me and know my heart and if there's any wicked way in me, get it out of me. I pray God we all do that, starting with me. And God, that we would see your love just flow. We would see lives change. And we'd see your glory revealed until we see you as you are. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for first loving me. I pray it all in Christ's name today for our sake. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way just two minutes before we uh, stop this broadcast. One is I want you to know today that we deeply, deeply care for you and we want you to stay safe during this time and pray prayerfully it won't be too bad. But should you have any needs, should you have any problems or any difficulties that you need assistance at all, uh, our family deacon ministry will be operating. Our office, Lord willing, will be open tomorrow morning with barring any major problems. Uh, but you feel free to call. We're checking that regularly. If there's, you can always leave a message. You can call your family deacon. You should have that information uh, should have been sent to every home. Uh, we do that periodically. If you have any problem with knowing that information, please contact our office. We will be glad to help you. You can also send us a messenger uh, message. You can email us stuff. If there's a problem with getting through on the phone, we check those also. Uh, so do remember that moving forward. We do pray for that, that everything goes well. So if you have any needs, we're here to help you. But as we go forward, I want you to know, Lord willing, everything looks to be back to normal by midweek. So by Wednesday night, we'll be ready to meet at 6. We look forward to meeting with you then. But church, I always want you to know, never forget that I do deeply love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Appreciate Steve being here with me today to help with all the broadcasting. He's the, the, the technology guy. I have no idea what's going on there. And I'm grateful to God that he does. But we're looking forward to a great week. I trust that God will put people in your path that need to hear about Jesus. You'll tell them about him and that you will demonstrate his life to a hurting world. You are loved. You're being prayed for. Thank you for all the prayers you utter for me and my family. We need it so much. Made it through this COVID thing. It's still, some of the effects are still hanging around there. I feel, somebody asked this week, so how do you feel? I said, I feel very fortunate because so many families have had major struggles, hospitalizations, have lost loved ones. I said, I feel very fortunate, very blessed. And uh, pray for others that are struggling with that now. There's quite a few in our community around us, church family and beyond. Pray for schools as they go back into session on Tuesday that things would uh, get better instead of worse with that. And just pray for God's will. Pray for uh, first responders. Pray for healthcare professionals and people making decisions. And pray for folks like me making decisions for churches that we would stay connected and love you the way Jesus does. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Call us if you need us. Reach out to us. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. God bless. Have a great day.